We're glad that you guys are here. I hope you guys have been enjoying, been enjoying our, our, our walk through James as we've been talking about genuine faith and what it looks like for us to have an authentic faith and a real faith. And today we're in James chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn in James chapter 4. Last week we talked about how faith is wise and our wisdom is shown not just through our cognitive knowledge and our understanding, but our wisdom is shown through our behavior. And in James chapter 4, we dive into how faith is just. And we start looking at kind of a long list of do's and don'ts. And I don't know how you grew up, or I don't know the church that you grew up in, uh, but I grew up in a church that was kind of a checklist church. Are, are you with me? where there was kind of a list of do's and a list of don'ts. There was what good Christians do, and then there was what bad people do. There was what godly people do, and there was what the world does. And so when I come to passages like this in James chapter 4 that do have these lists, I'm always praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to preach this in a way that doesn't just allow us to check boxes and doesn't just allow us to say, well, I'm so glad that I'm not like the world, right? I'm so glad that us, that our group, that we're super holy, and I'm so glad that we don't get it wrong, and I'm so sad that these people get it wrong, but helps us to actually understand that we long for holiness, every single one of us, that I don't want to just have boxes that I check, I want to have a right relationship with the Father. You think about your marriage right? In your marriage, there's lots of boxes that you have to check each week. That's not the type of relationship any of us want to have with our spouse. We don't want to look at our spouse and say, do you love me? And they say, yes, I love you. I checked this box and this box and this box. I took out the trash. I, 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 I did the dishes. I cut the grass. I, and you're like, I don't care about any of those things. I, I want something deeper, and so I want us to get to a place today where there is a longing in each of us for holiness. There is, there's a desire for righteousness because, not because we want to check boxes, but because we want to know God and because we want to love him. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, yet there is very little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. There's little inclination to sign up for long apprentices, apprenticeship in what earlier generations would call holiness. We all want an experience, right? We want to come in and we want to be moved by the worship. We want to be excited about being together. We want to have this moment. But does that moment lead to transformation? Does that moment lead us to righteousness and holiness and living in the right way? So we actually believe that the Bible is the story of God putting his family back together again through Jesus. And that the, we read the Bible in search of him, right? The, the, when, we're, when we're flipping through the pages, when we're opening the word every single Sunday, we're not just trying to learn some things. We're not just trying to check some boxes. This is not just part of the liturgy that we do every single week where we've got to listen to somebody talk for a few minutes after the worship. This is actually us searching for the Father. We're looking for him in the pages. And he's asking us, do you know me? Do you want to know me? Do you want to hear my voice? Do you want to draw close? 
Do you want to be near to me? Then examine my word and you can find me. Seek me and you will find me. I stand at the door and knock and I'm waiting. And so as we dive into James chapter 4, which is a lot of do's and don'ts, I want us to understand we're looking at these do's and don'ts with the posture of I want to be close to you. I want to have an intimate relationship. This whole series is called Genuine Faith. I want my heart and my motives and my motivations and every part of my being to want the same things that you want for my life, God. And so I want to learn your word. I want to learn your ways. And we believe that inside the Bible, we learn the ways of God. Uh, One of the greatest interpretive lenses that I've used to teach scripture, it's something that we did with our kids when they were younger. It's something that anybody can do with any passage in scripture is you read a section of scripture and you ask two real simple questions. What's God doing here and what is God like? I want to learn about God. I want to learn his ways. I want to understand who he is. And then the second question is, what is humanity doing here and what is humanity like? And so you're asking the question, who am I? What am I like? What are my tendencies? What are my patterns? What are the things that I'm going to fall short in? What are the ways that I'm going to miss the mark? And then you're asking the question, who are you, God? And what are you doing? And how do you behave when I miss the mark? How do you care for me when I don't check the boxes? What happens when I get it wrong? All of those questions persist. So James chapter 4, verse 1 starts off with this. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you. Isn't that great language? Your passions are at war within you. Paul said in Romans, I don't do what I want to do, and I end up doing the things that I shouldn't do, and I keep getting in this mess because my passions are at war. And so the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do, I end up doing, and I get in this mess of chasing all of these things. Many of you know exactly what the war within you is. You know exactly the passion that starts pulling you away from the Father. You know exactly that thing that actually separates you from the Father and unmakes the work that he's doing in you because that passion is at war with you. The scriptures talk about how there's a battle between our flesh and our spirit. There's a battle between the the worldly side and the godly side. And all of us, every single one of us, have passions that are at war within us. I I, I sat down with an older pastor uh, many years ago, and he was discipling a bunch of us young guys, and we were all in our 20s, and and this guy was a seasoned leader, we'll just say that. Um, I'm I'm starting to, when I tell stories about older pastors, I'm starting to like evaluate in my mind, like, am I that age now? Uh, He was a little older than me still, Uh, and and I remember as a bunch of 20-year-olds, us sitting down with him and saying, like, does it get easier? Like, does it feel like after 30 years of ministry, You've got it figured out. Does it feel like the passions aren't bubbling up anymore? One of the guys was like, do you still lust? Which I think the guy was pretty offended by. Uh, And he was like, yes, of course. Like, we're going to battle that stuff our entire life. We're going to battle the flesh our entire life. We're going to battle our sinful nature our entire life. The question is not, are we going to experience passions? The question is, what are we going to do with our passions? So when those passions are at war with us, what do we do? 
Because we have to keep in mind that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living and working in us. We have to keep in mind that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to know without a shadow of a doubt that we have not just been pardoned for our future, but we have grace for today in every area of our life. And the question that we're asking is, what does my life look like when it is fully submitted and surrendered to the way of Jesus? And so we want to follow him faithfully. We want to know what is it that I got to pick up and what is it that I have to lay down? What are the things that I have to hold on to and what are the things that I need to work out of my life? Scripture says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What are those things in our life that we're constantly at war with that we're figuring out over and over and over again. And so James, in the normal way that James operates, if you've been with us through the series, you know that James pulls no punches, that he gets right to the point, and here he goes. Verse two, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. That's pretty extreme, right? A lot of us have passions working within us. I don't know that a lot of our passions are murder, right? But if we circle back, we recognize all of the story of God in the Old Testament is that one sin leads to the next sin that leads to the next sin that leads to the next sin that leads to the next sin. And these all build on each other. You covet what you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly and you spend it on your passions. Isn't that interesting? We could ask the Father for anything We could ask the Lord of heaven for anything that we want. The creator of the world who spoke the world into existence, who breathes life into us. We've got everything to offer for him. And he's like, you don't even know how to ask for the right things. Because when you ask me for things, even your asking is selfish. Even your asking is tainted by your flesh. It's tainted by what you want and not what I want. And what begins to happen when we mature is our prayers become your will, Lord. It becomes I want what you want and our wants align with his wants. My will aligns with his will. My passions align with his passions. All of those things begin to happen. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word. (laughs) Here's the reality. There is a way in which we can live that causes us to have friendship with the world where the standards are not God's standards. And we need to learn to love what God loves. And we need to learn to hate what God hates. John Bevere tells a story of the time that he met Jim Baker. I don't know, most of you in the room will not remember the televangelist Jim Baker. Uh, He was the most famous televangelist in the world at the time. Uh, He had multiple affairs. Uh, There was some uh, mail fraud. There was money laundering. There was all of these things involved in his process. And John Bevere was a young pastor at the time, and he went to prison to meet with Jim Baker. And he was like, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was going to get. I didn't know who this guy was. I just knew all of these stories of him. And I just sat down and I just started asking him questions. And one of the questions I asked him was, I said, Jim, when did you stop loving God? And Jim said, oh, I never stopped loving God. Like my affection for God never changed. 
My affections for him weren't moved in any way. When I was having an affair, I loved Jesus. When I was money laundering, I loved Jesus. He said, I never stopped loving him. And John was like, I got a little worried then that like something weird was going to come. And then, all, then he said this, what I stopped doing was I stopped fearing God. My affections didn't shift in any way, but I stopped fearing him. And the, when I heard John tell this story, it just stopped me. And John goes on to talk about how our, 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 when, we, when, when we hear fear of God, sometimes we hear the wrong things. Uh, fear oftentimes is equated to like, I'm scared, I'm frightened, I'm afraid. But Baker says, no, I just started developing a friendship with the world. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 7 to enter the narrow gate. That there is a gate that is wide, that's easy for us to walk through, that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. But there is a gate that is hard, that is narrow, that leads to life, and that very few of us will find us. And so when we think about this, Bevere says this. He says, in order to understand holy fear, we have to differentiate being scared of God and fearing him. The person scared of God has something to hide. We see this in Adam and Eve's response to hide once they've sinned. However, the person whose fear of God, who actually fears God, has nothing to hide. He or she is, is terrified, not of God, but of being away from God. This is illustrated by the fact that while the people drew back from God, Moses drew near to God. And so he says this, holy fear is not to be scared of and therefore withdraw from God. Pulling away is the opposite of what God wants. The psalmist says this, he says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk to me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. God wants what we had in the garden. He wants intimacy. He wants closeness. He wants us to come to him. Even when we make a mistake, even when we take the apple, he doesn't want us to hide in our shame and run. God wants to be close and intimate with you. So holy fear does not quench intimacy. It enhances our interaction with God. And so if we think about this narrow road, we have to understand that there are ditches on either side of that road. And these ditches are the things that, in, that, that pull us aside and pull us away from the path that the Holy Spirit has lit for us, right? Scripture says that the Holy Spirit will light my way. It will guide my way. It will show me the path. But there are ditches on either side of that that pull us out of those spaces. The first ditch is legalism. Legalism says this. Legalism says, I'm only loved when I obey. Legalism says, I can earn it. It says, I'm good enough. I can figure it out. I've got the answers. I, I, all, all those things are dependent on me. And so I work to earn God's approval and to earn God's love. Here's the problem with legalism. Legalism destroys the beauty of holiness. It destroys the beauty of holiness because holiness operates this way. I obey because I am loved. This shifts it completely. And it says, I obey to become loved. Does that make sense? God wants this beautiful relationship with us that is full of intimacy and compassion that says, I want to obey because I love you. I want to learn obedience because I want to walk with you. It's not based on my works, but it's based on the work of Jesus. And so deliverance from legalism looks like this. It's God's love and God's grace. 
If we want to be delivered from a judgmental spirit, if we want to be delivered from a spirit of legalism, if we want to be delivered from this ditch that pulls us away from where the Father is calling us, the only way we get there is through God's kindness, his love, his mercy, and his compassion, and through our humility. Us being able to say, I cannot earn my way to the Father. I cannot earn your affection and your love. Romans 8 says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, mountains or valleys. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Scripture tells us that our greatest deeds are like filthy rags. The best thing that we do in comparison to the holiness of God is nothing. Think about the holiest moment you've had this week. All of you had one moment where you were at least a little holy. I hope, right? You can come up with one moment where it's like, okay, I was at least a little holy in that moment. That moment when we are at our best is nothing compared to the vast holiness and righteousness of our Father. And so legalism pulls us away. It allows us to judge others. It allows us to sit on the throne of judgment. It allows us to look down on others and, and it allows us to, to, to step into spaces where God says, this is just going to damage you. Now here, here's the challenge for us because many of us grew up in legalistic cultures. How many of you would say you grew up in some sort of legalism, fundamentalism, something that caused some damage to your faith? Now, notice there's not very many hands raised in the room because most of the people who raise their hands for that aren't here anymore. Over 23 million people have left the church over the past 10 years in America. And one of the major reasons why is because they experienced legalism and fundamentalism in such a way that they didn't understand the fear of God. They were taught a fear of God that was, you need to be scared of God. Not a fear of God that says, the biggest thing I'm afraid of is being away from God. I want to be close to him. And so I don't want anything in my life that's going to separate me from him because I want this intimacy. I don't want to hide from him in my sin. I don't want there to be condemnation. I don't want there to be shame. I want there to be a different way. So the second ditch is not legalism, it's lawlessness. And so think about this. Our faith, we jump from one ditch to the other, right? We're just bouncing back and forth between these spaces. And lawlessness says, I'm going to do whatever feels good to me. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to do whatever feels good. Whatever feels right, whatever seems right, whatever, uh, whatever is right to me, that's what I'm going to pursue. We talked about this last week. There, 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 are, eight, well, there, there are billions of people on the planet and all of them are saying, I'm going to do whatever is right for me. And we think there's not going to be conflict within that. There is. There's challenges. We cannot all do whatever makes us happy or whatever makes us feel good and not worry about it. Here's, here's what lawlessness does. Lawlessness destroys the beauty of faith. It destroys the beauty of faith. Because when we're living in lawlessness, we actually don't trust God. We actually don't trust the Father. So we don't trust him. When he says, I don't think you should do this, lawlessness says, well, I want to, and so I'm going to do that anyway. And so that we don't have faith. We don't actually believe that he is good. We don't actually believe that he's holy. We don't actually believe that he's righteous. We don't actually believe that his, he has our best interest at heart. We believe that God is holding out on us. 
That there's some other fruit that we can grab off a tree that's going to make us happy, that make us fulfilled, to make us holy, make us right, make us understand, make us see, make us whatever we believe. There is a fruit that is lying to all of us on the other side of lawlessness. And every time we take a bite of the apple, it destroys our faith. Because we've stopped trusting in his goodness. We've stopped believing that he's good. Deliverance for lawlessness is this, fear of the Lord. And I don't think fear of the Lord has been taught well in church. The fear of the Lord is obedience. It's the outward evidence. Its wisdom is shown through our behavior. And so when we fear the Lord, we actually begin to trust him. We begin to believe him. We begin to trust in his ways and we want to walk in his ways. And so I don't want to do things that God doesn't want me to do. I want to love the things that God loves and I want to hate the things that God hates. So legalism says, legalism will jump in and will say, I hate those people. This is why so many people are walking away from the faith. I hate those people. I hate this group. And and listen, how dare we hate who God loves? Because the moment we start hating who God loves, we're proving that we don't fear him. And so we believe that there's some sort of holiness, that there's some sort of fear of God by hating another people group. And the scripture says, no, 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 no. You don't hate who I love. Those people are created in the image of God, by him and for him. They are, they are the imago Dei. They are made by him and for him. How dare we hate who God loves? So we need to learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And we have to understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and power. Our battle is not against people. The issue is not this people group or this people group. Yesterday in East Side, in our our community, in East Cobb, there was a bunch of people with Nazi flags at a Jewish synagogue. It's easy for us to hate people. It's easy for us to choose sides. It's easy for us to hate all of those things. God wants us to hate the principalities and power that are at work that are causing those people to show up. You know what God wants for every single one of those people that held up Nazi flags? He wants them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and he wants their lives to be transformed and changed by him and he wants their testimony to be, I used to be the guy that stood out at the synagogue holding the flag and now I'm the guy who's on my knees in the church worshiping Jesus because he's good. We cannot hate the people that God loves but we do have to understand that there are things that God hates. Lawlessness, if legalism says, I hate what God loves, then lawlessness says, I love what God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 says, there are six things that God hates. Pride, deceit, wicked schemes, sowing discord. Like all of these things are the things that God hates. And so here's, here's what we have to understand. Here's, here's why, so we ask like, how does a loving God hate? Like if we look through scripture, there's all these things about the fear of God and the things that God hates. And if God is good and if God is loving and God is kind and he's intimate and compassionate, then how could he possibly hate? Here's the thing. God hates anything that unmakes us. He hates anything that unmakes the work that he's doing in us. He hates anything that destroys love. 
He hates the things that undo what he's doing in us. God hates what unmakes and breaks the ones he loves. He hates what undermines his image and distorts our identity. He hates what perverts and corrupts and takes advantage of. He is a just God who hates things that are wrong. God loves people. God loves the broken. God loves the bound who are in need of freedom. He loves the sinner. God is love. And that love never hates people because people are the ones he loves the most. God loves everyone, but he does not love everything. And we've perverted this. God doesn't love sin, guys. He doesn't love lawlessness. He doesn't love it when we step out and do things that we shouldn't be doing that are destroying the work that he's trying to do within us. He wants the best for us. And he knows us because he's our creator. And so he, he, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He created a good work that he's prepared for us in advance. He's done all of these things. He knows our best life forward imaginable. There's all these movies out now. Uh, there's, there's one on Apple TV. There's all these like films that are like, there is one path. And if you could find the one path for the one thing that you do, then all of a sudden your life would be amazing because there's one thing. And if you could just find your purpose, well, let me break it to you. God knows what that purpose is. He knows exactly what he made you for. He knows exactly what will make you flourish. And he knows what will destroy you. And he wants you to flourish. He doesn't love lawlessness. And he doesn't hate lawlessness because he's cruel and because he wants to take away our fun. He hates lawlessness because he wants us to be intimate with him, close to him, because he wants to know us and because he actually knows what's right. I mean, I know this is the simplest way to think about it, but when you've got a toddler, the toddler has no idea what's going to hurt him. Right? Right? Like my, I've, when my kids were toddlers, my, my greatest goal was just, I'm keeping them alive. That was it. Like, I just don't do something that's going to send you to the hospital. I want you to stay alive. And as a parent, I was always, no, 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 not that, not that. Don't touch. Don't, like, I, we, I, I said, we don't. Like, like, we were all doing these things. Any parents do this to your toddlers? No, we don't. We don't do cannonballs on our brother's head. Like, I, there was like all kinds of things like I was going to do the same thing to my family. I, I, we, there was all of these comments. It's all about just keeping your kids alive. God is in that place where he's saying, no, we, we don't do that. Right? This checklist here. We don't just run off to lawlessness and do whatever we want. There is an order. There is a truth. There is a right and wrong. And our culture doesn't want there to be, guys. Like our culture wants there to be a lawlessness and the church is responding with legalism and none of us are faithful. And there is a way for us to operate. Let's keep going because I'm going to stay here forever. James 5, or do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God opposes the proud. We're double-minded. We need to humble ourselves. We need to purify ourselves. We need to cleanse ourselves. We need to trust him and draw near to him. Thomas Fuller was a a, a brilliant enslaved man in the 1700s. He was known for his ability to work with numbers. Uh, He was so good with numbers that he was drawn into all of these projects where he was building, creating, writing, doing all of these things. And one of the most famous things that he said with his amazing intellect and his ability to calculate and his ability to understand the world around him is he said this, and it's almost like a proverb. He said this, he said, scalded cats fear even cold water. Right? So if a, if a cat, and I don't like cats, so, but if a cat jumps in hot water and gets scalded, the thing that would actually give him comfort is cool water. But now the cat's afraid of cool water. He's afraid of the thing that could actually heal him. Does that make sense? Some of us grew up in a culture of legalism and we were hurt by it. We were scolded by it. It caused pain to us. And so we think the only way to be healed is to come over to lawlessness and to say, there is no objective standard of truth. God is good and he loves all of us. Everyone is going to heaven. There is no salvation. We can do whatever we want because God is good and we want God to affirm our life and sign off on it rather than us submit and surrender our life to him. And I would say what's happened is we've been scolded and the one thing that can actually heal us is the grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and intimacy with our Father that we're running from. So God opposes the proud. He says, I don't want you to be proud. I don't want you to be proud. I want you to submit. I actually want you to surrender to me. I actually want you to walk in faith. And so because we've been hurt by legalism, we jump into lawlessness. Okay, there, there's, there's two types of people in the world. Think about Christmas morning, right? There's two types of people in the world. There is the person who follows the instruction letter by letter, note by note. Even if it's in Spanish, they will figure it out, right? And they're just gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna go buy the book. How many of you are buy the book people? You will always go buy the book. You will be right there with it. Yeah, there's other people like me who don't really want to get it done right, they just want to get it done. And so they're going on instincts, right? It's pure instincts with this. You're, when you're putting together your kids' toys on Christmas morning, you're like, all right, we're just going to do this. We're going to figure out how Elmo's party world puts together. Like, like I don't, we're just going to figure it out, and I'm just going to go. And if I get stuck, I'll pick up the instructional manual, right? How many, how many of that's you? Yeah. Oh, wow, a lot more. Let's see. You, the pastors attract who they're like. That's what, that's what happens in the church. Uh, I, uh, that's me, but, but here's the problem. Every, every time I start doing that, I, I finish and there's like 10 pieces left. Anybody with me? 
Or I get somewhere and I'm like, this leg is turned sideways. What happened to this leg? Like, this is not, this table has three legs and not four. What happened here? And so then I've got to backtrack and I've got to go to the manual. I normally, what I do is I say, Sarah, I need your help. Because she is a book, like, follow the rules. Cole is also a follow the rules. Like, like they're going to know what to do and they're just going to be like, oh, just leave. Just, you go eat breakfast somewhere. You go somewhere. Just don't be here until we need somebody to hammer something or screw something in. Like, just get lost. And, and, but, but here's the reality for us. Like, humility for us is saying, I've tried lawlessness. I tried to go on my instincts. I tried to go step by step and do what was right. And at the end, like, my leg was all wonky and the, there were parts on the floor and it did not work for me. And so I'm, I'm repenting. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to that place where I'm saying, you are the author and the creator. You are the maker. You're the one who knows how humanity operates because you're the one who made us. And so I'm going back to the owner's manual. I'm going back to the one who created us and I'm saying, all right, Lord, what does it look like for me to follow you? It's the humility of saying, I didn't make me. I don't know all the answers. I'm not sure how everything works. Sometimes things are difficult. So fear of God is trusting him. And listen, the, the end of that passage, verse 10, what happens when we trust him? It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? He will exalt us. Like there's this partnership that the father wants with us where when we start surrendering and submitting, when we start humbling ourselves, then what begins to happen is he puts a new nature in us. It's God's nature and not our own nature. He begins to teach us to love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates. And he begins to shape us and create us. Verse 11, tell me what these verses are, legalism or lawlessness, all right? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or a judge, his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Right? We got legalism and lawlessness there, don't we? We're seeing both sides of the ditch there. And, and, and here's the problem with legalism. Like legalism isn't curious. Legalism isn't humble. Legalism is proud. Legalism says, I have all the answers. I've earned my own way. I've figured it out. I've done it all. Humility says, Jesus paid it all. Humility says, you are the author and perfecter of my faith. And so I trust you. Humility says, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm not always sure what to do. But when I don't know what to do, I look to you. Over and over and over again, this is what happens. I, how many of you are Ted Lasso fans? Ted Lasso fans? Oh, that's a good amount. Right? Ted Lasso, it's a, it's a good show, right? I know some of you, like your haters, it's a good show. There's a great scene in the first season. Ted has been underestimated by the owner of the soccer team, and they're playing darts, and they've made this bet together, and the guy is super cocky and arrogant, and the guy's like, I'm going to win this bet. It's easily going to happen, and, and, and Ted says this. He says, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to bother me. And one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw a quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there and it said, be curious and not judgmental. I like that. 
and he threw his first dart, and he hit right in the center of the target. You guys remember this scene? It's a great scene. So I get back in the car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, it hits me. All those guys who used to belittle me, not a single one of them was curious. They thought they had everything figured out. So they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they were underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because if they were curious, they would have asked questions. They would have asked questions like, Ted, have you ever played darts before? And he throws the second one and hits the bullseye. And he says, then he says this, to which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. And then Ted says, barbecue sauce. <laughs> and he throws the third one and hits the target. Here's, here's the thing. Legalism stops us from being curious. It, it, we're proud. And we believe that we've figured it all out. We believe that we have all the answers. And so we don't actually even look at people around us. Legalism actually causes us to hate people. And God says, how dare you hate the thing that I love the most? I took on flesh and went to a cross for the people that you hate. I went to my death. I took the lashes in my back for the people that you hate. And so how dare you hate the things that I love? Verse 13, come now who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and we'll trade and we'll make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your own arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, it's not just a checklist, guys. I, that's, I read this at the beginning of the week, and I was just like, Lord, this just feels like a checklist. Do this, don't do that. It's so much more beautiful than that. There is a God in heaven who knows you, who loves you, who wants intimacy with you and wants the best for you and is inviting you into a relationship with him. That relationship is called salvation. And that relationship means that we say to him, not my way, but your way. And we give him our life back. We give our creator our life back and we say, my life belongs to you. It was bought at a price and I am a living sacrifice who becomes whatever you want me to do. So my future days are ordered by you. My present days are ordered by you. If I'm doing something that you don't want me to do, you tell me with the still small voice of your spirit because I want to change. Have we jumped so far into lawlessness with our passions that are at war within us that we've started to say, I think this one's fine. These other things, they're wrong, but this one that I'm stuck in, it's really not hurting me. Right? We've got all these justification matrices in our head. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting anybody else. It's, not, it's hidden. Nobody knows about it. God says, no, 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 no. I hate anything that unmakes my love. And even if you don't see how I'm working, and even if you don't see the consequences of that thing, that lawlessness thing that you're standing in, there are consequences for it. And it's unmaking something in you or in somebody else 
And I don't want you to experience that hurt and that pain and that brokenness. So as many stories as I hear of people who've left the church because of legalism, I hear more and more about lawlessness. People who just abandoned their orthodoxy completely. Who just threw out the Bible and everything in it and just said, you know what, I don't, it doesn't matter that much to me anymore. People have a justification for their wrongdoings and the things that they walk in. And every time that happens, guys, every time that happens, those people leave and they kind of wander. They like bounce from church to church, from place to place. And then suddenly I read that they don't have faith anymore. They've stopped believing in God. Now listen, I want us to be curious with our faith. Right? What I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that we can't question God. What I'm not saying is that we don't have the right to interpret Scripture and to ask hard questions of God's Word and to say, what's true now and how does this work and how do we sort this out in community? That's the job of the church. That's what we do together. And it's not always easy, but it's not just that we accept everything and we stop becoming curious, but it is that we enter into those discussions with a posture of submission and surrender saying, we want to figure out what God wants Not we want to figure out what culture wants. Not we want to figure out what feels good. Not we want to figure out what might work or be efficient. We want to figure out what do you want for our lives. And we want to walk in that. And there's tons of hard questions that we can ask of the scriptures. Are you with me? There's tons of difficult things that we can say. Is this lawlessness? Is this obedience? Is this faithfulness? What, what is this? Is this legalism? We, we can ask all of those questions, and it's good to ask those questions. But we ask those questions from a posture of humility that says, I want your will and not my will. Your will be done. Your way. I'm not proud. I'm not arrogant. I'm asking you, what will tomorrow bring, God? What's your will and what's your desire? In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9 God says this of Jesus. He said, you have loved righteousness, which all of us would say, yes, Jesus loved righteousness. See what he added on the back end of it? And hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. I, I, I know that this feels overwhelming. And if your passions are at war in you like they are in me, this isn't easy. But we recognize that the same spirit that lives in Jesus lives in us. The same power to overcome sin that lived in him lives in us. We recognize that God shapes us through our humility. And so today, as we wrap up, I just want to ask the question, do you love what God loves? And do you hate what God hates? Or are there areas of your life where you hate what God loves and you love what God hates? And what does it look like today for us to say, I repent. Repentance is this. Repentance is agreeing with God about reality. It's coming to agreement with him. And after we come to agreement with him, then we walk it out. Then we turn. Then we walk a different direction. We always talk about repentance as like an immediate turning, right? I was, I was, I was reading my checklist and I realized I had something on this checklist. And so I turned another way. And, but what we don't talk about is, did I actually ever agree with the checklist? 
And so listen, if there's a where, an area of your life where you're walking in lawlessness, there's an area of your life where your passions are at war with you and you're like, I don't understand why this is wrong. I don't understand how this is hurting anybody. I don't understand how this is causing any problems. I don't understand how this is unmaking anything. Will you just be humble enough to say to the Father, I want you to speak into this. I want to submit and surrender this to you and ask for your will and your way. And so can I, can I ask us to do something that we don't typically do on a Sunday morning? Can I just ask everybody to stand up? Because I really believe that there's something significant here for our church, and I believe that there's something significant right now for our culture in all of this, and, and I want to just pray over us, if that's all right. Um, and so I, I know we do this at the benediction, but if you just want to receive this prayer, or if you want to say, yes, Lord, to this, we're going to open up the altars up front, and if you've got a passion that is at war with you that you want to submit or surrender, if you've got something you're battling or struggling with and you want to ask the Father to speak into it, we're just going to invite you to come. We're going to open up the communion stations, and every single week when we take communion, we take the juice and we take the bread, and we remember him, but we also ask him a question. Today, the question I want you to ask the Father is, do I love what you love and do I, do I hate what you hate? And is there anything in my loves and hates that you want to transform? So let's hold our hands out and receive this blessing. Lord, we want to love what you love. Lord, we want to love who you love. And so would you teach us your love? Would you teach us the posture of service and grace and kindness and mercy and care? for the things that you love? Would you give us your eyes to see and to notice the things and the people that you love? And then will you teach us to act on your love? Let our love not be a feeling, but let it be an action. Teach us to love, but to love with our whole being, to love with our action, to love with our generosity, to love with our compassion, to love with our kindness, to love with our checkbooks, to love with everything that we have. Teach us to love what you love. Lord, will you also teach us to hate what you hate? We confess that our passions are at, war in, are at war in us, and we want your way and not our own way. We don't want to love anything that unmakes your love. So give us eyes to see what unmakes your love. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to hate the things that you hate. Teach us to stand up for things that are right. Teach us to fight for what is just and true and good and holy and righteous. And teach us to trust you in every area of our lives. We submit our whole beings to you because we want to be close to you. So teach us to fear you because we want to know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.